0: The best 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 Best. 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 of Crest in the afternoon countdown number five.
1: And uh, good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. Uh, we'll be should be having uh, Professor Ron Richlack, University of Mississippi, with us in just a few minutes. I'm having a little trouble getting through to him right now. He's the author of Hitler, the War, and the Pope. And as I said at the beginning of the program, and also alluded to uh, at the beginning of this hour, the there's been the discovery of a letter dated December fourteenth of nineteen forty two. Um, it was discovered by Giovanni Coco, uh, an official with the Vatican archives. Uh, it's a letter from an anti-Nazi German Jesuit, uh, Father Lothar König, and it's a letter addressed to Pius XII's personal secretary, Father Robert Lieber. This letter, uh, which is part of a set of archival papers that will be published in their entirety in the near future, reports that an estimated 6,000 Jews and Poles were being killed every day at the Belzec concentration camp in what was then German-occupied Poland. Today, it's part of western Ukraine. Koenig referred to the operation of blast furnaces. He made reference to Auschwitz and Dachau. And, um, you know, news outlets are finding this... Revelation of this letter uh, significant, and you know, probably not surprising um, reporters don't study this issue in detail, and uh the truth is this is not of great significance to scholars in the field, but it is another way that people can um you know give the impression. That pius the Twelfth uh should have been uh more vocal uh in you know he should have used the bully pulpit to uh let the world know of the murderous Nazis and how they were destroying uh the Jewish people and also tremendous numbers of poles uh yeah the the number of poles that i think 2500 priests uh were actually killed uh by the nazis in poland uh this is this is to be looked at against the backdrop of a fairly shabby picture of Pius XII that has been held up by uh, certain scholars working in this field, um, it's, it's very interesting because so much of what it comes down to is the question of should Pius XII have—should he have been more vocal in condemning the nazis so here and this is why right this is everybody would say it's an important question i mean he's he's, a, he's probably the, the world's uh, best known moral and spiritual leader at the time and you have holocaust survivor survivor elie vasel for instance when he accepted uh, the Nobel peace prize he said quote take sides neutrality helps the oppressor never the victim Silence encourages the tormentor, never the tormented, end quote. Um, Sure, sure, Uh, as a rule of thumb, that's probably good to say, but there are certain assumptions in that observation, and not all of them are actually applicable to the situation during World War II. Uh, And the question is, what would have been achieved would a statement by Pius Twelfth have diminished Jewish suffering? And even asking it that way, I feel a little uncomfortable, because it, he wasn't silent. There were many ways in which he did speak, and every time he speaks, somebody comes along and they say, well, he didn't say what I thought he should have said at that moment. He didn't uh, identify the Jews in particular here. Uh, So there's always these uh, objections to the statements that he's made. And of course, we have to remember that behind the statements, there's no doubt that Pius XII was acting to rescue the Jewish people. Um, Even Susan Zaccotti, who's been very critical of Pius XII, has said that uh, his statement would not would have not have saved any of the Jews of italy okay that's your area of expertise the Jewish community under pius 's window uh, so you have to ask yourself what would what would a statement what what kind of statement would have put an end uh, to Jewish suffering at this time what would a statement have uh done to Uh, rally international forces that could have better taken care of this uh, situation. I, I think that's, you have to be fairly pragmatic about this. We, Americans love showboating. We love the use of the bully pulpit. We are under the impression that if you can't do anything else, you can at least shout. And so it's uh, this, is, this is applied again to Pius XII without understanding that Pius XII was actually the father of a huge international family. He was also the Church's leading diplomat. He also was responsible for what would happen in re- in reaction to his words, so you you have to ask yourself what you have to ask yourself. Do we have any prior instances of Catholic authorities speaking out with consequences that were horrendous? And in fact, we actually do have instances of that. So joining me right now is uh, Ron Richlack. Ron is a distinguished professor of law at the University of Mississippi. He's the author and editor of 12 books and more than 100 articles. Today we take a look at his magisterial volume Hitler, the War and the Pope. Ron, good to have you with me. Hey,
0: always great to hear from you.
1: So let's let's uh let's go to the the occasion of our conversation today, which is this new letter uh that's been discovered. And what uh, it's being presented as though somehow this is f- further evidence that Pius XII should have spoken out uh, more loudly. Uh, he knew earlier. We're told now. Now y- you've pointed out that you know you can sp- reporters don't necessarily know the st- know the situation very carefully and clearly, but scholars in the field know. Does this give us something we didn't know about? Not in the slightest. I mean, the, the, the uh, if you
0: want to be frank about this, the thing this gives us is another warning from people who were on the front lines telling the Pope not to speak out.
1: Yeah. Tell me about it.
0: All right. So the letter that uh, was, was will be published soon, was, was discovered, is dated... December Fourteenth, nineteen forty-two, and in it, uh, there, it's a letter actually addressed to the the, the Pope's uh, um, assistant, uh, Father Lieber, and it says, you know, a lot of Jews and poles are being executed. It's like six thousand a day. Is uh, there's reference to that? And this made headlines: CNN and 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 the New York Times and the New York Post and all these said the Pope knew earlier. The Pope knew earlier. The Pope knew earlier. now the date is December fourteenth, nineteen forty-two. The Pope had been asked to join in an ally a statement from the Allies that was released on December seventeenth. In other words, three days after the date of this letter, actually was circulated on December sixteenth. Um, it was held in embargo for a day. Uh you got to figure they went to the Pope. He, I would think a month, but you know, at least a week or two before they released it, and right. asked if he would join in it, uh, he he opted instead to make his own statement on Christmas Eve, ten days later, uh, after this the, the date of of uh, December fourteenth. He also got to assume that the date that the letter was dated December fourteenth. It probably took. I'm thinking maybe a week, but at least a couple days. Yeah. Or the it would have gotten to the Pope. So, in other words, the information that's in the Allied statement is essentially the same information that is in this December 14th letter. The letter, in other words, gave the Pope no new information.
1: He would have already been so informed by the Allies of this information. He had
0: been informed by the Allies, and he had known for he had known earlier anyway. I mean, the Pope was involved. Mark Ribling's book, A uh, Church of Spies, he talks about the Pope being involved in all these assassination attempts, the, the ep- efforts to topple Hitler, yep. going back to 1939 and 1940. We know that in 1940, the Pope gave the Allies information about German troop movements. Uh, the, the Pope uh, made decisions not based on lack of information, as all of these news outlets claim, uh, he he made decisions based upon the information he got from the people in the front line, including this letter, which said, hey, if you talk about this, you're going to get me and other people engaged in rescue efforts killed. So please don't.
1: So this letter actually uh, says that... He, this letter asks him to downplay uh, publishing this information. It does. It, and, it, and, and that's one of the things that really...
0: Uh, I guess it doesn't surprise me anymore, but, but it still amazes me. Uh, so many of the news outlets are skipping that part of the letter when they report the story. They're simply reporting the Pope knew earlier than we thought. Well, they, 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 this isn't earlier than we thought. And then th- so many of these accounts, some of them do report that the, the author asked the Pope not to um, make this information public. But a lot of them don't. Yeah. So if you read a lot of these news accounts, all you learn, all you are told, is the uh, the Pope knew information before we thought he did. See, he's a bad guy. Right,
1: right. Ron, hold it there. We've got to take a break. We'll come back and continue the conversation. My guest is Ron Richlack, author of Hitler, the War, and the Pope. I'm Al Cresta. We'll be right back. The best. 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 best of Cresta in the
0: Afternoon Countdown. Number five.
1: Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me, Ron Richlack, professor of law at the University of Mississippi, the author of Hitler, the War, and the Pope. Our uh, meeting today occasioned by the discovery of a, a letter uh, that was sent by an anti-Nazi German Jesuit priest, Father uh, Koenig, and it was addressed to Pius XII's personal secretary, Father Robert Lieber. And it's being uh, presented as though this is new evidence uh, that the Pope knew of the Holocaust earlier than we had realized. As it turns out, that's simply not true. Uh, The Pope was already familiar with, with the uh the situation uh just as the allies were and he had actually been asked to sign on to a statement uh with the allies but he chose to issue his own statement the church uh had formal neutrality uh during the uh, second world war and so it made its own statements uh people People sometimes wonder why the church would be formally neutral during wartime. Tell us why.
0: Well, you know that that's a, a very good question and a fair question from people. I mean, the church ministers to people on all sides of the war. Right. So you're a German, and um, you're on the wrong side of a war. That doesn't mean that the church needs. You, know, the, you may need the church's support and help more more than any other time in your life. I mean, today the Church maintains—the the, the frustration of some people in America m- maintains relations with Communist China. Yes, yeah. uh, the, the Church is not engaged in these secular battles as horrific and as, as clearly uh, wrong as some may be. I mean, and the Pope was involved in efforts with the resistance, but he used diplomacy, and he used secret involvement and things like that, rather than the bully pulpit, rather than, uh, uh, you know, pounding, pounding his fist on a desk and screaming, which would bring about retaliation that he knew of.
1: Yeah. Now, this is, this is really kind of the heart of the argument, isn't it? I mean, if would a statement by the Pope have diminished Jewish suffering, or would a statement by the Pope have increased Jewish suffering or suffering for Poles. Uh, I mean, yeah, not, not just the Jews, but
0: uh, that becomes really in, in Hitler, the War, and the Pope. That's kind of my, my culmination chapter where we try to think through the impact of a statement. Well, when statements were made, we know that they didn't circulate behind Nazi lines. The, the Nazis suppressed the statements, they punished anybody who circulated them. They sometimes reworked them to make them look like the Pope was in, endorsing what they were doing. Hmm. So there's very little upside, and there was sometimes enormous downside. Uh, we, we can look at uh, uh, Edith Stein, uh, Theresa Benedict of the Cross, Saint Teresa Benedict of the Cross, who was persecuted because the uh, Catholic bishops condemned what the Nazis were doing. The Nazis had said, hey, stay quiet and, and things will be fine. The Catholic bishops said no, and, um, and Catholic Jews were sent off to uh, uh, the, the, ex, uh, the extermination
1: camps. Yeah. Lutheran Jews weren't, though, or Reformed Jews weren't. Nope. No,
0: because the uh, the Protestant ministers took the advice of the Nazis and did not condemn the Nazis at that time.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, this... Given given that this comes down to a question of prudential judgment, um, what do you make of the persistent and on- ongoing hostility towards Pius the Twelfth uh, from so many in the uh, academic community?
0: Yeah, it's it's very frustrating because in the the midst of the, this this recent. Ruhaha, which really should be a, a nothing burger, as they say. Um, there are academics like David Kircher from Brown yep. and, and some others who have have reached out to the press to, you know, get their get their fifteen minutes of fame, I suppose, and by by talking about how how bad this is when clearly we know it's not. Um, and 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 Kircher knows that, you know. I, I mean. And I, I disagree with some of the, a lot of almost all his conclusions, perhaps. But he, he's a smart guy; he, he knows that.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, and he's written a, a couple, you know, pretty good pieces that I've read on on other matters. Yeah. Um. Uh, what people overlook, and what what what's underlies all this, uh, is that the greatest disinformation um, machinery in history which was in the, the Soviet bloc disinformation system, uh, was trying to de-Christianize the world. Right. And one of the greatest ways you could do that is if you associate the Pope with the Nazis.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So, you know, they got behind this this myth of, of the Pope either being—and and it varies. Either he's afraid of Hitler, or he admired Hitler, or he just didn't care about the Jews, or he— he wanted to centralize power of the papacy. There, are, there are a million different explanations uh, for, for people, other than the truth, which is he did what he thought was right and would cause you know the the, the least harm to, to people. You now, horrible things happen, so you can say, well, you know, it didn't work. Um, we don't know what it would have been had he taken a different path.
1: Yeah. Well, Susan, and the thing is,
0: I going to say, it was clearly not. It was clearly not an affinity towards the Nazis or towards Hitler it was clearly not anti-semitism uh he he very clear he treated he, when Jewish victims uh were maltreated and Catholic priests were maltreated he reacted in the same manner each way it's yeah. not like he, he, he which I, I people tend to overlook that to me that's very telling he did what he thought was right uh regardless of who the victim was
1: yeah yeah I mean I, I think it was Susan Zaccati who said that uh, she acknowledged that uh, nothing he could have said would have saved the Jews of Italy.
0: Yeah, well, and I, that's that's very clear that a statement would have had no positive benefits I mean other than and, and Pius XII himself said this. He said once, you know, I could earn the praise of the world by speaking out, but it would cause others to suffer. Right. And that's not what that wasn't his goal. It's not an appropriate goal for a uh, Christian Catholic leader, and uh, so he took the heat of the world, if you will. That, you know, the, 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 if it's going to be bad press for him, that wasn't a big deal. I mean, the, the, the thing is to try to do what's the right thing.
1: Um, so, you know, this is this whole discussion presupposes that he didn't speak out. But here we have this letter, in which he's warned against speaking out. Uh, he's 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 familiar with the uh, what's going on at Belzec. Uh, I think Auschwitz and Dachau were mentioned as well. Uh, and then he gets this letter, probably December, you know, twenty first. <laughs> uh, he does have a statement though that he he makes on uh, I think it's Christmas Eve of 1942
0: right, right the 24th yes christmas eve where he talks about hundreds of thousands of people who are being marched and there's different translations of this phrase but uh who, who are being uh, exterminated through no fault of their own only because of their race or their descent <laughs> uh and in context at the time everybody knew he was talking about the jews yeah um, and uh, and and the New York Times even uh, uh, talked about him being a, a lonely voice out of the silence that was enveloping Europe at that time. Yeah. Uh, so he, he, you know, what what he did is he, he used Pope speak. Uh, you know, popes traditionally speak differently than you and I might do. Right. Right. Uh, it, it's it's both diplomatic, but it's also at, at a level where you know he's a Christianly he's. I mean, he is Christ's representative on Earth, and I I think you have the the people who fill that role take that very seriously. And when they are talking about other individuals and what they say, or other groups, and it doesn't mean they have to be silent. Pius was not silent, uh, but it was not a bully pulpit, bully pulpit item for him. It was, it was diplomacy. It was active measures. It was rescue efforts. It was efforts to uh, help topple Hitler from within, working with Bonhoeffer, who's praised as a, uh, a great martyr and, and, and uh, opponent of the Nazis. Mm-hmm. Well, that that group was in touch with the Pope to make right. sure that the Catholics were in line with this. Which Pius XII said yes. He gave his blessing to the uh, to the Valkyrie. Uh, attempt that yeah. uh, if you've seen the seen the movie, you, you know that was that was at least the third, may have been more, but at least that was the third effort that Pius XII was involved in uh, to get rid of Hitler. And by "involved in," there was a German lawyer, a guy named Joseph Mueller, who was also a pilot who was able to fly between Berlin and Rome, and he uh, was able to bring information to the Pope and then take information from the Pope. Back to the conspirators in Germany.
1: Yeah, this is Joey the Ox. Right, right. <laughs> I love, I love the characterization of him uh, <laughs> in, in Riebling's book. Yeah,
0: yeah. And R- 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 book reads like a novel. I mean, it, it's uh, it, it's it's an exciting read. I will, I'll, you know I, I I like that book very much.
1: You know, I uh, think I, uh, you you quote uh, in, again going back to the nineteen forty two statement uh which is made Which is made probably days after he received this letter, you quote the, uh, uh, the British uh, uh, public Records Office, which has a statement that reflects the opinion that quote the pope's condemnation of the treatment of the Jews and the Poles is quite unmistakable, and the message is perhaps more forceful. In tone than any of his recent statements, and then that—that's January fifth of nineteen forty-three, and then you got the Dutch bishops. They issue a pastoral letter in defense of the Jewish people on February twenty-first of nineteen forty-three, making express reference to the Pope's statement. I mean, it was, people understood that he was speaking of the Jews.
0: Absolutely, and. You know, the American bishops made one of the strongest statements uh, about the Holocaust and the Jews and, and, and the Nazis. And, and uh, it named the Jews and it named the Nazis much more so than papal stuff does. And met, this is, you know, a decade ago, maybe. Um, I went to Dunwoody, Dunwoody Seminary where they house um, Cardinal Spellman's papers. I'll
1: tell you what, hold, hold it there if you would, Ron. We'll come back and pick that up on the other side of the break. I don't want to cut you off here. So, well, my guest is Ron Richlack. He's author of Hitler, the War, and the Pope. It is the book that you have to have on this topic. I'm Al Cresto. The best. 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 Of Crest in the Afternoon Countdown. Number
0: five.
1: Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresto. With me is uh, Professor of Law Ron Richlack. We are looking at uh, this recent letter claiming that uh, Pope Pius XII knew about the uh, Holocaust of the Jews earlier than we had been led to believe. As it turns out, that is not the case. He was already well aware of the information in this particular letter. In fact, within a few days of this letter reaching him, he made his nineteen forty two uh, Christmas statement, and um, it it's the whole thing is crazy um, but you have to you have to also remember the type of discourse uh, the pope as Pope often uses uh, a softer diplomatic language which is characteristic of all of his formal statements uh, but we all, but we're talking about the the American bishops though across the Atlantic, and you were telling us what the American bishops were saying, Ron.
0: Yeah, well, you know, now, when you think about it, I ask people sometimes, why did the Pope use the American bishops? Well, we have freedom of speech, so they weren't going to be able to suppress things the way they would in Nazi-occupied territory, and, uh, and it would spread. Yeah. People would hear it, and there would not be retaliation because the Nazis weren't in charge. Well, let's push back a month earlier, before this letter, this new letter, came out. The uh, the U.S. bishops released a statement uh, that said, since the murderous assault on Poland, utterly devoid of every semblance of humanity, there's been a premeditated and systematic extermination of the people of this nation. The same satanic technique is being applied to many other peoples. We feel a deep sense of revulsion against the cruel indignities heaped upon Jews in conquered countries and upon defenseless people not of our faith. Deeply moved by the arrest and maltreatment of the Jews, we cannot stifle the cry of conscience. In the name of humanity and Christian principles, our voice is raised. That's a month before they got this letter. And, again, about ten years or so ago, I was granted access to Cardinal Spellman's papers in Dunwoody, Mm -hmm. and I saw the correspondence leading up to and following this release. This was very much done in collaboration with Pope Pius XII. Pope Pius thanked them for their collaboration afterwards. Um, uh, He he, 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 he expressed thanks for their constant understanding and collaboration of the American bishops and archbishops. (laughs) In other words, a a month before this new letter, he was working with the American bishops to make a statement. He didn't give the numbers, but he's talking about the Jews and he's talking about the Germans, and he's very clearly aware of what's going on.
1: Let me bring up another topic uh, related, which is often misunderstood, and I think our listeners probably would like to hear uh, how to approach it. And this is the the topic of the Reichskonkordat, uh, which was uh, signed, I think it was 1933. Um, right. This is the Holy See and the German government signed an agreement. And the way it's put, the way it's put is like this. Well... The Church went ahead, and uh, they had made the 1929 Lateran Treaty with Italy, with Mussolini, and they basically bargained that, uh, okay, we're going to stay neutral uh, as long as we can have our autonomy. We'll shut up and we'll silence our prophetic voice as long as we can keep control of our schools and sacraments. And so the signing of the Reichsconcordat is seen the same light. It's the church being willing to negotiate away their voice in order to, you know, keep their institutions uh, afloat. How should we understand these concordats and these treaties? I
0: think. Well, I think first of all we should understand the concordat was a policy adopted by Pope Pius XI. Uh, Pope Pius XII, the one we're talking about was the um, Secretary of State at the time this took took place. But the idea was the Holy See needed agreements with nations around the world mm-hmm. to make sure that the churches could function, to make sure that the churches could have schools and 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 do what it needed to do, rather than political parties. Political parties, particularly in German Germany, the uh, the were the Catholic Center Party. Was crushed into uh, basically at some crucial moments, uh, supporting the the nationalist movement that led to, to Hitler. Hitler, yeah. Uh, and, and so there was a movement to get away from that. The prior to Hitler taking over, the Vatican had made proposals to Germany and to other the, the Soviet Union, many other nations, but to Germany, there was a proposal on the table. Uh, and uh, Hitler comes to power. Hitler picks up the proposal and says, tell the Vatican we're going to take their offer. And hmm. if they don't accept their offer that they've made to us, we will persecute the Church. We will run the Church underground. They will deeply, deeply regret it. Pius twelfth, the Secretary of State, and the future Pius twelfth, when he was Secretary of State Pacelli, um, uh, said, we had a gun pointed to our head. It was either sign this agreement, which, frankly, you know, we had proposed, well, they proposed it to Germany, not to the Nazis, mm-hmm.
1: okay. uh,
0: either take the, this this offer that we proposed, or face, really, persecution of our churches. Yeah. So, in that context, the Church affirmed the proposal that had been out there, and by the way, that survived uh, long after the Nazi era, I think it went into around 1960 or early 60s, it was not an agreement with the Nazis, it was an agreement with Germany.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: and uh, it allowed the Church to continue to function. Um, the Nazis wanted to put in a provision that would have uh, basically silenced the Church. The Church is trying to get out of politics. I mean, the, 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 the Pope Pius XI wanted to get the Church out of politics, uh, but Pius, the future Pius XII, Pacelli, insisted on a provision that the Church has the right to speak to issues of morality, Yeah, uh, which all of the issues... Involving uh, Nazis, basically, the Church took that position. The Nazis, by the way, claimed that this was politics and that the Church was in violation of the Concordat. The Church said, "No, this is; these are matters of of morality, and we have a right to speak on those."
1: And the the Nazis were were not operating in good faith. Uh, they broke the Concordat uh, rules time and again. Did the uh, did the Church respond? Did the Holy See respond to these um, violations of the Concordat?
0: Well, yeah, I, I mean, you know, a lot of times the response was filing a protest. Right. Uh, and, and at Nuremberg, there was testimony that there was a whole desk full of protests from the Vatican for various breaches. The very first uh, one was uh, had to do with the boycott of Jewish businesses. When the the Nazis uh, imposed a boycott, a ban on, on, on uh, shopping in, at Jewish stores. The Vatican called that a violation of the concordat and filed a protest. That was the very first of a whole desk full. Of, I don't know how many there were, but a desk full.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, people often talk about the final solution. What was the final solution? This was a specific policy Um that wasn't settled upon uh, formally until uh, what 1942, January of 42. Was that when the Wannsee, the meeting was? I think that's right. Uh,
0: Tom, you're, you're giving me a quiz here. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah,
1: you're the expert. <laughs> I'm, but,
0: uh, I'm scratching the, around. So, <laughs> the yeah, the final solution uh, was the, the Nazis' answer. Uh, to uh, what they saw as the uh, uh, the problem facing the world, which was the systematic murder of all Jews, yeah. the elimination of Jews, uh, and um, it uh, uh, obviously is horrific. Yeah, and I, you know, and, and I don't think uh, there's anyone who uh, who looks at it who thinks otherwise. And certainly, um, you know, the, the Vatican didn't, but. This is what led to the sort of the way the Nazis were able to condition uh, their soldiers into uh, doing the horrible things that they did. Yeah, uh, by saying this is this murder of all European Jews, whether it's by gassing, shooting, or other means, uh, would uh, would ultimately sort of purge the world of of uh, this race that was causing such trouble to the master race. The, the, the Germans.
1: Yeah, I. How's you? You watched this discussion now, for many years. Is the discussion moving in our direction at all? You know, I feel like it is, and then every time I feel like
0: it is that there's. I, I, I'll say this: I, I, I did some. Uh, I did a, a couple of reviews of David Kurtzer's new book, "The Pope uh, at is, War." Is that the, the one? Yeah, which yeah, is the okay. the book that's gotten all of the attention, really, uh, most recently. You know, there are I think now seven books with a publication date of two thousand or later uh, about Pius XII in the archives, and six of them are very, very positive. Kerchers is very, very negative. Oh, okay. uh, and I, you know, but you know, he's the name, and he's the one who got the attention. And, and I just I think he's been unfair on on a number of things and a couple of my there there was um, I brought one of the reviews I wrote man, I'm reading this book and he makes a very strong claim that I, I'm like, wow, that's and I, I followed through the footnotes I the footnote led me to something else and he ends up citing a document a, a book actually I'm think a book an office ends up citing a, a, an author from a book that was written. You know, forty years ago. So supposedly, this whole <laughs> the whole premise of his book is about these new archives. And then, like the, the strongest statement uh, that I see, the one that really you know forced me to go to the the, the footnotes to, to double check it is a very old book. Which
1: is that the Gunther uh, think, Louis uh, book? I uh, you know I, I
0: don't think he cited Gunther Louie. Okay, but Gun, Gunther Louie okay. is the one that corrupted so so much of this research. And, and if your listeners don't know that, that, that that's the guy who really. Uh, made. He, he didn't It's not really him. He used evidence that was provided to him that had been manufactured uh, uh, for for some post-war trials after the war. As the Soviets have influence over these Catholic nations, they would saddle up to the the, the uh, bishops or the cardinals. Wisinski. Menzenti, um, um, uh, Stepanak, mm. uh, and, and, and say the, the we're just like them, we're just like them. We are opposed to Nazis. And then within two years, in two years, those guys all are in prison for uh, having collaborated with the Nazis. I mean, yeah. it makes no sense. But the Stepanak case, it was all framed. People manufactured evidence, some people escaped later and showed how they fabricated the evidence, forged documents. But before that happened, a guy named Gunther louis uh, Louis—is it Louis? The the the, the, the book—the uh, Catholic the book Church
1: in, in German.
0: Mm-hmm. I, yeah, that, that's probably. Uh, it might might not be Louis. I may have the wrong author. And okay. um, it's it's uh, Anyway, <laughs> there's a book that's written based upon the documents that the author got. From the Croatian authorities, and and the author, I think, thought that they were legit. You know, he got like the, the original court documents. Yeah, well, we all know now that this is all fraudulent. This
1: is all fabricated. Wow.
0: Yeah, completely fabricated, and yet, nevertheless, uh, certainly John Cornwell, but but many others critical of, of Five to Twelve have uh, um, end up citing the stuff that we all know now is bunk. Shh.
1: Yeah, I mean, you have an extended essay in First Things from years ago, looking at uh, Daniel Goldhagen's work, in which he's not even, I mean, he, he's referring to always the secondary sources. Uh, so some of the research is just plain sloppy. Um,
0: and it continues, and, that thin- and, thin- and that's really what, why we're talking today, yeah. is the sloppiness of the story.
1: Yeah. Ron, thanks once again. your great help.